welcome to our worship service on February 19th. This is the day that the Lord has made. Jenny, that was beautiful music this morning. Thank you. It just helped us, I think all of us, to, to center to the Spirit. You know, we have uh, slides that I believe are being shown online as well as here to our congregation about the announcements in the life of the church. And so I hope you're paying attention to that. Uh, Vinia expends a good amount of effort during the week to make those things come up and to make them look good and to make them be accurate. So I don't want to repeat everything that's up there because it seems like that's fairly redundant. But each of those events, there's a bunch of people that want me to say what's up there for that event and underscore how important and exciting it is to them. So uh, at the risk of, um, I don't know, Plant, planning retreat today, donuts. It's going to be great. Come and help support your church to figure out what it's doing in the future. Uh, Ukrainian concert this afternoon. Special thing is it four o'clock here, three o'clock here. Proceeds go to to uh, Ukraine. Um, crop walk sign up on the patio. Uh, third uh, Tuesday night is a, uh, a pancake thing going on at Thousand Oaks. Um, if it's a symbolic way of preparing yourself for Lent, getting rid of all the really goody, tasty things, and that's all turned into a Shrove Tuesday pancake event. So uh, Thousand Oaks Church for that, and then Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday service here uh, on our campus. On the 26th, uh, a webinar on affordable housing. This is really an important thing that I hope you're paying attention to. And we are starting today, and we'll continue throughout uh, this next uh, month of March of Lent uh, with our appeal to help bring assistance to those people who are uh, struggling for life and comfort in Syria and in Turkey uh, due to the, uh, to the earthquakes. So if, if you're moved by that, make out a check to the church on your line, on the memo line, put a uh, UMCOR appeal or earthquake victims or, or something like that, and we'll know where to, where to send that money. Uh, thank you to Joyce for the, I don't see her here yet this morning. Yeah, there you are. Thank you, Joyce, for the flowers this morning, and, and we give you, your family, our prayer support for the grieving over uh, the death of your sister, uh, Eileen. So, in the spirit of that beautiful music, let us be at peace with one another and with God and worship our, our living Lord. <clears throat>
please stand for the call to worship and remain standing for the hymn and the invocation. Let us gather and worship the Lord our God. God calls out today and always, who hears my voice and will follow? We respond, Lord, help the faith you call us to. this day. Touch us with your spirit and call us to attention. Heal our hurts and lighten our burdens and empower us for lives of discipleship in your son's name. Amen. I am so glad to be back with you today. Look who I brought with me. She is not in the back, but you never get to see her up here. Well, you did. You took over the other day, huh? I heard you did really good. So, guys, last week, I know there was a really important game that was played on TV. How many of you watched it? Oh, <laughs> um, did you like the outcome? How about you? It was okay? Did your team win? Was it the Cowboys? Was it the Niners? No. Oh, I know you guys. We don't even know what team is playing yet because the game hasn't played as we're recording. But what I wanted to tell you about, and I heard there's this other team that's like in the playoffs. They're, they're called the Chiefs, and I don't want to be a Chief. No, seriously, you guys. <laughs> we're talking today about 
another parable, a story that Jesus told. And we're talking about the sheeps and the goats and how Jesus told the story about separating the sheep from the goats or the chiefs from the cowboys. Yeah. But I don't like the cowboys either. She's wearing their hat. Oh, oh yeah. Well, here. So in the story, it is about how someday we may all have to account for all that we've done. But I have to tell you something, and I'm going to go way off script today. There is a thing called grace, and God gives us grace. And, <laughs> and no matter what we've done, we have a chance to say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and receive the grace that Christ has given. Now, that's not what necessarily your teacher is going to teach you today. Maybe. Miss Pam's pretty good at it, and I think Miss Carissa is too. But I want you to learn more about the sheeps and the goats. And next time you see Callie or I, tell us what you learned. All right, guys, it's almost time to go back to class, but I'm going to have you pray with me. Will you repeat after me? Dear God, dear God, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing me. And not those sheeps. And not those chiefs. That we can be both sheeps and goats because of grace. That we can be both sheeps and goats because of grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. All right, go on back to your classes. We'll see you soon. Holy God, we lift up our spirits to you, whether we are seeing ourselves as sheep or goats, uh, chiefs or cowboys or eagles, whatever our self-perception is, we know that we are a child of yours. And so we pray this day that you would help us in our lives to grow closer to you and to one another, to embody more that spirit that you place in us in a demonstrative way. Help us, Lord God, to grow into your image within and through us. We pray for those around us who are struggling with all sorts of things in life. We, we know that it is not your intention for us to have um, things that drive us from one another and from you. And so we pray that we will be drawn back to you, that we will be healed, that we will be accepted, that we will be made whole or better, and encouraged on our pilgrimage of faith, regardless of our circumstance of life. We think of those who are, who are going on in their battle with uh, cancer in a long-standing way. We're thinking of Kathy Drake and Mighty Abaldi, uh, Sarah Pierce and Sally DeLong. We pray for them and their loved ones as they continue receiving and giving care. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. 
We pray for Chrissy Shababi's sister, Dinah Barmace Gray, diagnosed with thyroid cancer and is scheduled for surgery uh, in a week or so. We pray that you would be uh, with Dinah and with her uh, extended family through this time of, of great challenge. We think of Steve Lamberg's friend, Debbie Arter, and her stage four lung cancer. We think of Dee Crawford's friend, Carol Blake, who has lymphoma and lesions on her pancreas. We pray your healing power and your strength to all these people. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for Bonnie Lewis, who is in ICU following an emergency gallbladder surgery and also has double pneumonia. And also for her husband, Don, who is scheduled for surgery this next week. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for uh, President Jimmy Carter, who is now in hospice care. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we pray for the friends and family of Barry Falk on his uh, passing to life eternal this last Wednesday. Surround Susan and uh, his family with your love and strength. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. We think of Greg and Janelle and Kitty as they continue to heal from their replacement surgeries. Steve Ames, Barbara Ghosh, and Heidi's father as they continue to uh, recuperate and get stronger in their health. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. For those who are suffering with COVID or the flu diseases of this season, we pray your care, Lord God, help us to move through this time and to uh, regain our health, our balance. We give praise and thanks for the medical personnel who put themselves at risk to give us care. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And Lord, on, on this Sunday, we think of those who are suffering from the the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, uh, the death and the injuries and the dislocation from home for all of them. We think of those who, are, uh, who have died and lost loved ones and who are suffering from, from the trauma of the shootings at Michigan State. We think of those who are at the who are in the religious communities in Los Angeles our Jewish brothers and sisters who have experienced uh, hate crimes this week death and injury and we think about the murder of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell in the 
Roman Catholic Church, Hacienda Heights. And our hearts break over the violence, the suffering which we visit upon one another. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we seek to be your disciples, your followers, that you would help us to mobilize and shape a society that is in the image of your blessed kingdom. May we find ways to cross barriers and to build bridges and to spread the power of your love. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. We now pause to think of other people and situations in the privacy of our prayer thoughts. Hear our prayers. And we give thanks with uh, open and grateful hearts for the, uh, the healing or the strengthening of baby Amir. And now as, as this child goes home with mother and father, Farid and Valerie of that refugee family, we give a joy to the, the health that is emerging here for this young family. And we celebrate with Kaylee Smith and her classmates, their, their performance at school these last two weeks. The joys of life bubble up even through the difficulties of life, and we claim those, we celebrate those, and we, we look to give you thanks and praise. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. And so we would pray for our church. All of us gathered here in love of you and in care for one another, we would pray for our ministries, your help to uh, strengthen them through these times. We ask you to help us to maintain and to grow our effectiveness and vitality. May the time that we spend uh, this afternoon in planning uh, bear fruit. We lift it up to your glory to your purposes. We pray this all in the name of your Son, joining in his prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
Our scripture readings today are from the Gospel of Matthew and the second epistle of Peter. Hear the words from Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from that cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Here are the words from 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by that majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on that holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. So if you're squirreling around the Holy Land next week, you might want to go to Mount Hermon, or you might want to go to uh, the rocky hillside on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, or you might want to go to Mount Tabor to visualize this event that we heard this morning. The, the long-standing religious tradition is that it's at, at Mount Tabor west of the Sea of Galilee, a little bit south of the Horns of Hatton. Does that reference mean anything to you, Horns of Hatton? There you go. You're a medieval scholar. Anybody else? Crusades, the last battle? Well, anyway, that's there. It's a prominent rise in the area. So you can see it being what our religious tradition has ascribed to it. You could see it being the place where this event occurred. 
It happens in Jesus' life, just as he's about to set his face and head to Jerusalem, and he takes Peter and James and John with him up the mountain, and this marvelous vision occurs that you heard Heidi uh, read for you. Radiant white, chatting like buddies with Moses and Elijah. The divine announcement that repeats uh, words that were said at his baptism with a little extra listen to him. Now, what was the purpose of this transfiguration? Have you, have you thought about that? You know, why, why is this a part of Jesus' life, something that we commemorate? Now, some would think it is an important event because it occurred to bolster Jesus' resolve prior to his suffering and his death. And this would make some sense, I guess. Jesus, too, needed spiritual strengthening to face what was before him. And we often see him gathering in solitary prayer, retreating from the crowd to be close, more closely in touch with God and to be renewed or strengthened, you might say, in his spirit. So, so we would not be wrong in valuing this event as something that was important to strengthen Jesus to face his future. Yet perhaps also this event occurred to bolster the leaders of the disciples. Perhaps this was for the purposes of Peter, James, and John. Well, it doesn't seem to have put everything in perspective for them so that they knew exactly everything that was going to happen from then on or fully who Jesus was. It didn't, it didn't seem to sink in in the same way it sinks into us as modern readers as to what's going on here. They still fall away, don't they? And they still deny him at his time of arrest and passion. And they still are surprised by the empty tomb. My guess is that if I saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus all radiant like that, the debate would be over. You know, I'd, I'd kind of go, hmm, I get it. Um, don't you think? I don't know. But, but somehow the, these guys were a little more squirrely and then they didn't quite. But it did seem as a powerfully meaningful thing to them, though. Kind of an epiphany, like we've been talking about these weeks. They get a glimpse, as however confusing it might be to them, they get a glimpse of insight as to who Jesus is. You know, the, the heir of the law and the heir of the prophets, both together. God's beloved son. And we do seem to, to read that this vision encourages them onward in their discipleship to Jesus. Though they need more moments like this to, to strengthen themselves. And, and we do see them attaining that, that greater resolution after the resurrection. But it's a help. This epiphany is a help assuring them of this uh, new 
an uncharted faith that they're stumbling into as, as uh, Jews who are being open to what God might be doing a little differently with this Messiah person. Now, the Gospels are written so that we might hear of Jesus and become people of faith, that we might have this kind of epiphany. John writes, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. John, John states straight out what he's up to and what his hope is for us, that his gospel might be an epiphany for us. Luke speaks of this effort to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. Apparently, in Luke's time, there were disorderly accounts running around, and he thought, now, let's get this in order. Let me do that. I'll make it in order. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke has eyewitnesses telling him exactly what happened, and he's going to write it down for us. So that you may know the truth concerning these things. passing on what they know to be true or what they were told was true about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. This was the goal of the gospel writers and the epistle writers. A number of times, you'll recall that Paul speaks of passing on what was first given to him. We, we hear this uh, when he's talking about the Eucharist, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. I pass on to you what was passed on to me. Now, in today's epistle reading, we get a similar glimpse of that purpose. Peter writes of the disciples being eyewitnesses of this majesty and how they heard, they heard the voice on the mountaintop that conferred on Jesus God's blessings. We ourselves heard this voice, Peter says. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the mountaintop. Hmm. It might have been very scary for the first and second generation of believers to witness to what they believed about Jesus. I imagine that it, that it must have been with the persecutions and, and just the social dislocation that happened with taking this stand out and apart from the longstanding religious tradition against the, the kind of socioeconomic patterns of the time. It must, it must have been a little bit scary and hairy to, to do this kind of stuff. Their well-being was threatened by persecutions, if not just their livelihood, from, from unpopularity among fellow Jews and their, their neighbors. But they told what they believed. They spoke what they believed. They lived what they believed. What they knew to be true. 
They summons the courage, and they set it straight out. In Peter's epistle, he states this as his purpose. Our passage this morning ends with this admonition. I love this. Write this on your heart. You will be well. You will do well to be attentive to this, Peter says. You will do well to be attentive to this as a light shining in a dark place. Be attentive to what I'm saying about Christ Jesus. You would do well. You would do well. Be attentive to this. It's such a, a subtle word of encouragement, well, right? For such a powerful powerful truth. And so we have been attentive to this for 20-some centuries, huh? Listen to him. Believe in him. Follow him. It's true. This is the witness of Scripture saying outright to all who would hear, we have seen it ourselves. We have heard it ourselves. We have had it passed on to us by others who have seen it and heard it themselves. People we trust. It's true. I believe it. I believe it is true. So the epiphany process we've been talking about these weeks. Come and see. Decide and follow. Investigate and experiment. And then today, learn and believe. One of the distinguishing features of humanity is that we can actually learn things from others. We listen, we evaluate what we're hearing, we determine the rightness or the fallacy of the teaching of the statement, right? We accept or we disregard it. So we read and we expose ourselves to people that we think have common sense, understand how things work, and speak wisdom. We benefit from their knowledge, don't we? We pass it down. Son, I want to remind you. Right? We pass it down. I can remember my dear high school sociology teacher saying, you know, Chip, you can learn things without always putting your hand in the fire. Yet, you know, the truth of the matter is that experience, experience seems to be the best teacher for so many of us. 
And until we experience something for ourselves firsthand, we wonder. We wonder about its truthfulness. And faith, faith can be a lot like that. We can hear all we want about the saving power of Jesus, right? But until we, until we give ourselves over to it, to that spiritual mystery of power and redemption, until we do that, you know, there can be serious, uh, serious doubt. Once we experience that, though, we know it's true. And what, what's become true for me has a great possibility of becoming true for you. So come and see. Decide and, and follow. Investigate and experiment. Learn and believe. I want to tell you a story about even Alexander and an incredible experience uh, that he had. Do you know that name? Oh, good. This will be new information, a, a surprise for you rather than a, a repetition. He was a graduate of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, smarty pants, right? In 1976, he went to Duke Medical School in 1980. I'll give you a little bit of his vitae. He did residency at Duke and then Mass General, Harvard, neuroendocrinology. You guys know what that is, neuroendocrinology. Became an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, specializing in neurosurgery, and then relocated into Virginia to work in a surgery facility in Charlottesville. He was the adopted son of a leading neurosurgeon. So it might not have been in the blood, but it was in the family. And he was raised in that kind of environment. Married for 31 years, two kids. He was a Christmas and Easter attendee at the Episcopal Church, I guess because of his wife, as, as we hear the story unfold. He characterized himself as a scientist not a believer when it came to the reality beyond the physical. All right? That's our picture. As much as I've grown up wanting to believe in God and heaven and the afterlife, he writes, my decades in rigorous scientific world of academic neurosurgery had profoundly called into question how such things could exist. Modern, uh, modern neuroscience dictates that the brain gives rise to consciousness. Consciousness is a product of the brain. To the mind, to the soul, to the spirit, to whatever you choose to call that invisible, intangible part of us, that makes us truly what we are. And I had little doubt that it was correct, that neuroscience was correct about that. Then, 
as life would have it, he became deathly ill. He was struck by a gamma-negative E. coli bacterial meningitis, a mouthful. Um, you nurses and doctors may know exactly what that is. To the rest of us, it's just bad news. Bad news. Seven days in a coma. No neocortex functioning. Brain dead, basically. And statistically, he should have died, or in a very, 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 very rare case, come back to life and survived as a vegetable. That, that's what should have happened. Yet, he became a medical anomaly. He became N of 1, survived, and has returned to full functioning, which is nothing short of a miracle, I would guess. N of 1 is kind of unique, huh? Now, while lying in that condition of being brain dead, he had a fantastic near-death experience. And you can't have a near-death experience if your brain is dead. But apparently he did. Without a functioning neocortex, this was impossible for him to have. Yet, it happened. And it taught him that as a neurosurgeon, that consciousness was something that was beyond the human brain. That somehow consciousness transcends physicality and death. And from his experience, he went on to say, and it's characterized by love, you know, these gushy good feelings, love, acceptance, and safety. He published a book on this in 2012, uh, New York Times, number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, he calls it. So it's, it's got this title that maybe is something that you wouldn't pick up because it sounds like it might be just, you know, boogly-boo. But it's a fascinating, a fascinating story. He writes how his experience taught him to know that deep and comforting truth that we all feel is true, that our eternal spiritual self is more real than anything we perceive in the physical realm. And it has a divine connection of some kind to the infinite love of the creator. These are his words. And so now he's a neurosurgeon that tries to walk uh, with a foot in both uh, disciplines of, of spirituality and physicality and trying to make sense of the human experience and the possibility of healing and life with these two truths somehow in balance with one another. And I bring this long illustration up just to say that there's room to learn and believe. Now, we might not have to put our finger in the fire. We might not have to have a near-death experience to give us the data that we need to learn and believe. Maybe we would benefit from other people's uh, sharing 
knowledge, experience. Maybe we could benefit from, from that. Hopefully we can benefit from that that we all don't need a near-death experience to have some kind of insight like this, that we all don't need to put our hands in the fire to realize that fires are hot, that we can actually learn from witnesses that we can trust. So what did Peter, John, and James see up at Mount uh, Tabor? What, what, what did they actually really see? Something happened there. They're trying to convey it by saying radiant light. Whoa, Moses and Elijah. Voice from heaven. Some kind of thing happened there that they're putting into these words to try to convey to us the centrality of Jesus to this faith movement, the truth of Jesus as Messiah. What was it that the gospel and epistle authors came to understand of what they were told about Jesus? That they would be willing to be killed over it, to be persecuted over it, to be unpopular over it. Some of us don't even like discomfort let alone unpopularity, ostracization, persecution, or death because of something we believe. They had a vision. They had an experience of Jesus as the Christ that gave them a remarkable sense of assurance, of confidence, like Dr. Alexander had What I have to tell you is as important as anything anyone will ever tell you, he writes. And it's true, he says. So, invite the experience for yourself. If there's any squishiness, any uncertainty in your heart, in your soul, invite the experience of God to come in your life in a way that would speak to you. And God will come. God will come. You are God's child. Your loving parent wants you in relationship. God will come. You'll see. Go to the mountaintop. And when you do, when you do, I promise you, as many of you can give voice to as well, that you will live better through the valleys of the shadow. You will do well to be attentive to this. like a light that's shining in your darkness. Amen.
you are invited to share of your financial resources via the instruction that's going to appear momentarily on the screen to help support the ministries of Christ that happen here in our congregation. Your generosity is really needed, and it keeps us going, and it keeps us doing the good that we do. So please give generously and be part of what is actually happening here in people's lives in this community through the congregation of the UMCWV.
us pray. Holy God, we ask you to bless these gifts and those who give them, that our ministries in your Son's spirit might thrive, helping your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. service has been a blessing to you. Uh, Another blessing awaits you as you walk out this door. Uh, Barb Stone and her team have made some nice hospitality stuff for us to enjoy. So uh, look forward to that as a sign unto you that God loves you and God's grace is upon you. Let's work with one another and with the Spirit, making this a better place to be children of God. Stay stay safe, friends. Be healthy. Know that you are loved. We grow in God's Spirit, seeking peace and justice, letting love lead. Be blessed by that Spirit and be a blessing to others.